1: Tuesday morning to you. Welcome to Light the Tower here on the Horn. 104.9, 1019, AM 1260, where we're live, local, and digital daily on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. My name is Craig Way. Glad to have you with us here on the Tuesday. Hope your uh, commute, for those of you doing the commuting this morning went all right, hope that the summertime is off to a good enough start for you here today is the last uh day of the vernal equinox the final day of spring it gets into the summer solstice coming tomorrow on the calendar we already know it to be summer here it's Quite warm, and the heat indexes continue to be on the rise, and we hope you stay cool on that. Jeff Howe, of course, still on vacation. He'll be on vacation throughout the course of this week, and then I'll be out the uh, following couple of weeks after that, leading into Big 12 football media days. Uh, but Jeff out uh, this week, he's dealing with the heat and humidity of Disney World. My daughter is, too. I have a daughter down there also, but she seems to be having a heck of a time, so that's good. Our producer is Cameron Parker, who always seems to deal with the heat pretty well. Um, you, you always seem to be cool
2: and calm and under control, and that's a good thing. See, now you said that in last night, actually, I got a heat rash from playing golf. So usually, yeah, wow. first heat rash.
1: Where'd you play golf? Forest Creek.
2: Okay. Yeah, good old Forest Creek Golf Club
1: in Round Rock. Uh, and uh, so you got a heat rash. I won't be so invasive is to ask what part of your body i won't do that just the shoulders it was oh, okay.
2: mostly just from where the t-shirt or my yep. golf polo was covering so yeah yeah
1: so how do you how do you deal with that with your heat rash what do you do, what you, do you, you put some anal not analgesic but You put some sort of bomb some sort not even a bomb really just some,
2: some dr some. google just says just cool down yeah and that's what i did and, and yeah
1: okay that's dr who google oh dr
2: Google. okay all right uh, uh that's good
1: that's good did you uh did you
2: hit the ball well no i did not it was it was a very poor i played like justin thomas on friday Ooh. at the u.s open so okay
1: all right okay. gotta
2: gotta get back in the uh, in the garage and uh grind out okay all right yeah practice and,
1: in the garage do you have a driving net in there
2: uh i, I would like to invest in one okay. in something so if anyone in the specs text line has a home Golf practice setup. Range. <laughs> please uh, let me know what you did, where you got your stuff, because uh, I'm in the market for are you? net, mats, whatever.
1: Okay. Okay. Look at that. You are serious about it, so that's that's good. Um, I wish I could say I was as serious, but I, I love golf. the love, love, love to play it, but I play um usually two, three times total a year, and that's when I'm on vacation. Yeah. And, and even next couple of weeks when I'm on vacation I don't think I'll play that much once maybe twice something like that the the uh the man who is the uh I think he's the vice president of the dunes club there which is the most famous of the Myrtle beach courses uh, owes me a round of golf because, oh, okay. because that's where Linda and I got married last year uh in in the club room there at the at at, uh, at the dunes and uh I, I made a joke to him when we were talking about hey I might all need it. he said anytime man he goes, I got you. I got you covered. You so go. I told him before we left town, I said, "Hey, we didn't I didn't have time to do it." I said, "But we come to the beach every year." He goes, "Just let me know. Just let let me know." He's he was kind of uh, as he said from a from an afar from a distance a Longhorn fan. He he was is uh I think he's a Duke graduate and and a big Duke fan, but but he said he was kind of a Longhorn fan from afar, so that so that worked out. Well, uh our specs text line is open at 337. Three seven seven six five one two three three seven three seven seven six. Somebody already uh, checked in with uh, Doctor Google with a laughing emoji. I hadn't heard that. I hadn't heard the Doctor Google there, but that's yeah, that's that's nice. Uh, and uh, Jeff Mudd says. Uh, Forest Creek, my home course, Nice shot three over Ooh. there on Sunday. One over our house, one over the cart, girl. <laughs> three over. Uh, we get you there. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. All right. Uh, so I, I like giving love to the local businesses. Uh, folks know that, whether it's restaurants or uh, stores or whatever. So today, uh, is as a side item, as a side item, uh on the specs text line if you care to weigh in uh where do you like to play golf in the summertime now right now this is a little bit different than say when conditions are perfect so mm-hmm. it's hot so keep that in mind but if you want to you want to check in with that and 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 by the way if you if you have uh suggestions for Cam on that sort of thing about how he can set up his own practice facility this house you can uh, you can certainly uh, weigh in on that but uh, but if if you have a have, of course you have is forest creek kind of like your home yeah course especially in the summertime
2: yeah because there's so much more shaded areas and now they got yep. hit pretty heavy by the winter storm so a lot of trees have been cut down it almost looks like a different course but compared to like star ranch where you're just getting blasted by the sun there is spots at forest creek where you're you're in the shade more and i i I love the play um, Tree Golf, which is basically, mm-hmm. oh, there's a tree over there, not the fairway. Yeah, well, let me see hit, if I can get yeah, that. Yeah, let's one. see if I can go ahead and hit there. So, right. Definitely, I believe, of course, uh, as far as public courses, Forest Creek is definitely one of the better ones. And plus, for a twilight rate, Craig, I mean, 35 bucks last yesterday for a four o'clock tea time, and it's in immaculate condition. So, hard well, to beat That's that. good.
1: That's good. Now, if you can just deal with the heat yeah. at that hour, you know, or heat rash. Exactly. Uh, have you tried as uh, one texter? suggested uh, gung-ho golf. Okay. Indoor golf simulators. Okay. okay. So, uh, so... Thank you. So there we are. Uh, all right, so that's there. Uh, I, I mentioned about uh, the guy at the Dunes Club being a uh, being a bit of a Longhorn fan. A guy who's not a Longhorn fan is going to join us in this program, but there's a reason for that. He's a good man, nevertheless. That's Toby Rowland, the play-by-play voice of the Oklahoma Sooners. And... Uh, he he will join us around the bottom of the hour. You know, last week when the SEC schedule for 2024 not schedule I keep I, I'm I'm the first one to correct myself on this deal. I don't I don't like just calling it the 2024 SEC schedule because the schedule would imply dates on a calendar and we don't have that yet. So it's schedule of opponents, the opponents that they will play, or the listing of opponents if you want to re- really be correct about it, home and road. Um, and, and we talked a lot about Texas. We talked about Texas A&M. I had Andrew Monaco, the play-by-play voice of the Aggies on last week to talk about their side of it. And of course, the the rivalry being renewed for Texas and Texas A&M. So uh, that's coming up, uh, it, you know, around the corner. We're not that far away from it. And, uh, and, and so we did talk about that. But we haven't... Re- <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, we haven't really... Uh, uh, address the other school that's going into the SEC with Texas, that's Oklahoma, other than when we've talked about it obliquely and, and other things. And, and, and in terms of their schedule, which I think offers quite a challenge, uh, Well, that we'll get uh, Toby's thoughts on that, and not just on the SEC listing of opponents for OU for 2024. Also, their off-season work. I heard Bucky and Aaron talking this morning about uh, the story that uh, – Thomas Jones had in the Austin American Statesman yesterday with regard to um rating the 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 staff rating the quarterbacks in the Big 12 conference and um so uh Dylan Gabriel I think was number 2 on their list mm-hmm. uh with Jalen Daniels at Kansas number yep. 1 and then and then uh, Quinn Ewers number 3 and so on and so forth down the list but uh we'll we'll also get uh uh, T. Row's thoughts on that too, on them getting ready for the second season under Brent Venables. So, uh, so we'll do we'll do that.
2: And he had some big comments, Craig, uh, last week saying that if the defense played better, then they were a ten win team, and they should be every year.
1: Yeah, uh, and, and I think it's probably, and and we'll certainly ask Toby about it, but I think it is probably um, as reasonable. To expect that if their defense plays well, they're gonna be good, and they really struggled defensively for for a while during the year last large year. Large stretches, know. yeah. So that was you know that was a big part of it. But anyway, we'll we'll visit with Toby Rowland coming up around the bottom of the hour uh, to discuss that. Uh, we do have inconceivable uh, later on this hour, so we do have uh, we do have a variety of items for our inconceivable file. We'll do that. Uh, Toby, by the way, joins us in our Longhorn Notebook segment because even though it's Oklahoma we're talking about, we're talking about opponents as they face Texas, and we do that quite often about how it uh, affects the Longhorns as well. So that's our, our Longhorn Notebook for this hour. We, uh, the next hour we have a Flex 30 update, and then uh, in the Longhorn Notebook next hour we're going to hear from Colt McCoy, uh, former Longhorn great quarterback who was in town recently uh, for that camp, and uh, his thoughts on uh, his future uh right now in the NFL. So that's that's coming up next hour as well. Now um uh, I wanted to get to college baseball. Apparently not fast enough. Somebody already said, can we talk about blah blah blah? <laughs> it's on my list, okay. It's on it's on my checklist here. Uh where uh what was it? Uh somebody's asking about uh, about playing uh or talking about the, the struggles that happened uh yesterday uh with the with uh, some of the pitching. Uh but I'll tell you I I heard um uh I, I did hear uh Ty Harrington on uh with uh B and E last hour. And uh he discussed the um the the way that uh, Wake Forest and LSU pitched last night, especially Wake Forest down the stretch. And there was some really good pitching that happened yesterday in the College World Series. Um, Burns for Tennessee was outstanding uh, when they had to be, when they were down early, 4 to nothing. And uh, somebody asked about uh, Quinn Matthews struggling. Uh, you know, he had the 156-pitch outing against Texas. Remember the prior week in the regional, he threw 180 pitches in two outings. He had 114, I believe, against San Jose State. That was the story we were telling on the air about how he threw 114 pitches. That was after he had met... With his professors for his class about having to move a presentation forward or uh, into the morning, did that, uh, which counted as seventy percent of his grade. Then went out and threw the one hundred fourteen pitches. Then had to go back and write a paper uh, that evening on it. Then came back against Texas A and M and threw sixty six pitches in the uh, in the uh, winner take all game in the regional final Monday. Then threw the one hundred fifty six game fifty six pitch complete game performance against Texas. And um I don't know if it was as much uh him being tired or not being able because early on he looked really well but uh didn't locate his uh his fastball really well and and struggled uh with uh, the breaking ball as well. Eventually Tennessee able to overcome a four nothing deficit and get to him, chase him from the ball game and then uh we we knew and said this even in uh when we were out in Palo Alto uh you know a little over a week ago that if there was an underbelly for Stanford, it was going to be the bullpen, and that turned out to be the case for Tennessee rallying back for a six four win uh last night's game was just marvelous, thrilling, compelling college baseball uh to watch to see the to see perhaps what was viewed as being the top the 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 two hottest teams. In uh, in college baseball at this point in the season, the top two teams, by the way, are still unbeaten in the tournament. Wake Forest is the number one seed. Florida is the number two seed. Both have won uh, on in their separate brackets, bracket one and bracket two. Each have won their first two games and are going to be difficult to beat. It looks right now uh, like it could be likely that those two would meet for the national championship, number one versus number two. But there is still baseball to play and. Um, I would say of the other four teams that are still in the tournament, since the field has been trimmed now to six, what were the uh, two uh, elimination games of the past couple of days? With that happening, uh, the of the four remaining teams, LSU might be the team best suited to be able to still run the table and get to the championship. Tennessee still has plenty of arms left. TCU can swing the bat uh, about as well as anybody. They they're just they're gonna have to dig up some pitching starting today against Oral Roberts. And ORU has a very balanced attack. Do they have enough depth all the way around? So uh they 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 all have real positive uh points and they all have weaknesses and, and those kind of surfaced in their individual losses. And so now all four of those teams down to elimination. It's on Elimination Tuesday. So TCU and Oral Roberts play the first game, and uh, the loser season is completed. The winner will then have to beat Florida twice, tomorrow and Thursday. And then the same story in the other bracket, where Tennessee will play LSU, the winner of that stays alive, the loser goes home. And then the winner will have to defeat Wake Forest twice for the next two days. This is where it really gets difficult for those teams trying to fight their way through the bracket, is playing in the case of – Uh, the bracket that we saw on display last night with Wake Forest winning, you're talking about a team that is now going to be playing four uh, consecutive days, a a survivor, to try to get to the championship because they played a winner's bracket game last night, LSU. Then they're going to have to win an elimination game against Tennessee. Tennessee played uh, an elimination game yesterday, won that. They would have to play the next day and and win two more. Uh, so, so in other words, this would be the second day today, and then they'd have to beat Wake Forest twice in the case of LSU. They'd have to beat Florida twice in the case of Tennessee. So it's, it, it's a tough sled for any of those teams to be able to do that, especially with the pitching rested, extra uh, day of rest for the two unbeaten teams in the bracket. So it's going to be difficult there. Somebody on the Specs text line said, is there a Frank – Anderson equivalent that Texas baseball can land. Uh, you know, I like what they have with their pitching coach with Woody Williams. I mean, he just started, just got his first uh, first season in the books uh, and is uh, a proven winner. The issue for Texas is going to be guys staying healthy and then once returning from injury being effective because we saw Tanner Witt show flashes of it and signs of it, but never truly able to recover the form. And they were being very, very cautious with him obviously coming off Tommy John surgery. Uh, additionally, losing Heston Toll for the entirety of the postseason uh, was was huge. And uh, uh, losing David Shaw for the postseason was really big. So uh, you know getting, keeping uh getting and keeping guys healthy and then beyond that. And that's not about pitching coach stuff. That's more about uh the fragility of the arm of the individual player. So there's some of that. Um uh, so anyway, that's uh somebody asked about the uh, uh about Lauder and Matthews um uh, uh, struggling there and that, and and it did ultimately uh, happen last night with regard to that. Uh, somebody says, I think Tanner's coming back. I hope so. hope so. I mean, you know, the the draft next month will tell us an awful lot. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of guys who will be draft eligible, and we'll see if, if those guys uh, are coming back. But just compelling baseball last night to watch uh, Wake Forest. And we can see why those were the two highest-ranked teams all season. They were the only teams in um all of the college baseball polls and 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 I say all because all is the operative phrase there are more polls for college baseball than there are any other sport why that is well there's different different bureaus there's the uh first of all um you have the national collegiate baseball writers association so you have that you have the d1baseball.com poll and it is their staff, and they, and, and they poll from different people who work for them and cover throughout the course of it. You have uh, collegiate baseball, which has been around a long time and calls upon some writers spread out all, all over the country. They have the, the um, I think it's the USA Today uh, coaches poll in, in baseball. Uh, Keith Moreland, I know, votes on a veterans poll, a Hall of Famer poll, and their ballot very similarly reflects some of the other ones. So we re- we run down uh, before every Texas game. We'll mention uh, if either or both of the teams are ranked, whether, where they are ranked in all of the polls. Baseball America, another one. I'll say they're ranked as high as number eight in collegiate baseball, number nine uh, by D1Baseball.com, uh, number nine in Baseball America, number 10 in the National Collegiate Baseball Writers Association, and uh, and uh, number 11 in the ESPN USA Today Coaches Poll, something like that. So those two teams, Wake Forest and LSU, have been ranked one or two. One has been one and one has been two virtually the entire season. LSU was number one, um, I, think, I, I think, in uh, a couple of the polls. Tennessee was number one in the preseason poll, but they had a difficult opening weekend, so they dropped out. And so once it got into the season, LSU uh, was number one to just past the midway mark, right around the the two-thirds mark of the season, and then they had a rough weekend series. And then after that, Wake Forest stepped in the number one spot, and they've held that all the way through uh, the number one spot. And, um, and so they were the one and two teams going in. But they weren't the one and two seeds. Wake Forest was the number one seed. Florida wound up being, I think, number two in the polls toward the end. And Florida wound up being the number two team uh, in uh, in the seedings. So remember those those top eight national seeds when they first came out for the tournament when it started a couple of weeks ago? Wake Forest was number one. Florida was number two. And then... The carnage started after that uh with the three and the four and the and well, of course lSU was the five still there uh the six getting knocked out uh, uh, the seven was Virginia and made it to Omaha, and the eight was Stanford and made it to Omaha. But the others out of those top eights Clemson uh, was the four seed Vanderbilt was the number six seed uh, out of that uh the the from there on down. Uh, Those teams were getting knocked out, and that happens every year. I can still hear uh, the words from Augie Garrido um, when he used to say things like, every year there will be, in the regional round, a top eight seed that gets knocked out. Every year in the regional round, there will be a three-seed and or a four-seed advance to the super regionals that happened all in Fayetteville, Arkansas where the top 8 and the number 3 overall seed uh uh Arkansas got knocked out by TCU and then in uh Stillwater, Oklahoma uh, state was the host there but uh, Oral Roberts was the 4 seed and knock them out. So in those two regions, those two things happened. And 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 then he said and you'll you'll find a lower seeded team reach it reach Omaha. Well, it was Oral Roberts this year. And and only since they've gone to the sixty fourteen bracket and the double region uh, the uh, super regional concept in nineteen ninety nine that's when they went to expanded the tournament field from forty eight teams to sixty four teams and you didn't have just the six uh, the eight sixteen regionals which everybody who was involved in that, whether we were a player or a coach or a broadcaster or whatever, says that the, the system that they have now is so much better off of that because it doesn't blow out your pitching the way the old 48-team uh, field used to and the six-team regional used to do it. So having the four-team regionals in a 64-team bracket, and then, of course, you have two teams in a best-of-three uh, at the super regional, which determines the teams that get to Omaha, has been a much more – uh representative representation, a, a fairer representation of the teams. And you say, well, how can that be if you have so many upsets on that? Because sometimes, and the NCAA Tournament Baseball Selection Committee does this differently than the Basketball Selection Committee, they will quote-unquote balance out the bracket geographically, and that's why Oral Roberts got labeled a number four seed and sent to Stillwater. They weren't a four seed in talking to, the, uh, to my friends up in uh, Stillwater. They'd seen Orr Roberts twice that year. They played him twice that year. And Oklahoma State lost to them twice during the year. So this is not a number four seed. They're doing it to keep them, you know, 70 miles away. And and there's and, and there's some inconsistency there because uh they'll have some teams will say, well, we keep them close for geography, and then they'll send Oregon to Nashville. They'll send Texas to Coral Gables, you know, they'll send Texas AN to Palo Alto. So and then as well, Jeff
2: house says they got to play somewhere yeah, right? right? Someone
1: has to play out there. Yeah, exactly. So I'm in favor of you know get what you really truly deem the 64 best teams in the country to be, seed them and and have uh you know those those sites seeded 1 through 4 truly and And then just go to those sixteen sites, and then send the lowest number four seed to the highest number one seed. doesn't matter what corner of the country they're in. Go ahead and do that send send the number uh send the 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 lowest the highest number two uh, into the regional that would have the lowest number one seed if they uh, you know that make it as completely equitable as possible. I don't know if we'll see that anytime. Uh, somebody said wasn't Arkansas number one at some point in the season. I don't. They may be in one poll, but in most of the major polls, the Razorbacks were not. Uh, curious to hear who you expect to leave in the draft. That depends on who gets drafted and where they get drafted. And that signing bonus, And that's a big, big part of it. So uh, you know, we'll see who's drafted and where uh, where they get drafted, and then of course it comes down to that that money thing. As well. All right. Uh, it, like we said, before we get to the break here again, it's out there. If you've got a summertime golf course you like to play. Somebody said, I've never played golf, but would love to. Golf lessons are expensive. That they can be, for sure. Uh, <laughs> Bizarro Dale Dudley says, the best place to play golf this time of year is golf Clash. Great tournaments. And I can play in truck with in my truck with air-conditioned seats. So, Cam, we need a fourth on Sunday at Forest Creek. Come on, says somebody. Oh, so there you go. And uh, Jeff Mudd likes uh, Forest Creek also. This is a great shot maker's course. Highly recommend. I recommend it well. It's, it's good. I played it. has been a long time since I played it, but I have played it. All right. Coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Toby Rowland, play by play voice of the Oklahoma Sooners, get their thoughts, his thoughts on the Sooners' future trek in the SEC and what they have as they get ready for this year uh, in. The Big 12, the final year of the Big 12. We'll do that when we continue with Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at HornFM.com.
0: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app.
1: A Tuesday morning here on Light the Tower on the Horn Craigway with you here, and uh, it's time now for our first hour edition of the Longhorn Notebook.
0: Longhorn Notebook. As
1: I mentioned, of course, the Longhorn Notebook encompasses more than just notes about the Longhorns; it also deals with their opponents as well. And uh, when you talk uh, opponents for Texas, there's uh, uh, certainly all the uh, excitement in the future of the SEC schedule that uh, we heard last week uh, with the renewal of the rivalry with. Uh, Texas A&M, but of course, if you are talking uh, Longhorn opponents, you got the Oklahoma Sooners that you have to discuss as well, and that's why we're always pleased to be joined on the vaqueros Cafe and Cantina Hotline by my counterpart, great guy, the voice of the Oklahoma Sooners, Toby Rowland, who joins us, T-Row. I appreciate the time. How are you this morning?
0: I'm doing good, Craig. How are you, my friend?
1: I, I'm good, and, and, and I, I think you'll agree with me on this. That, you know, whenever you have me on your program, your producer bumps back with uh, Texas Fight, which I always say I'm right. sure makes somebody just drive off the road on the Turner Turnpike right. or or something like that. And I like get
0: that. Paul McCartney.
1: And you get Paul McCartney. And, and, and the reason yeah. why that, I'm trying to do a preemptive strike there and not have anybody drive off mopac or i thirty five well they're sitting in traffic on thirty five if we were to come back with boomer sooner so i'm i'm just trying to be proactive about this deal that's that's that's
0: i uh, i safety first safety first i do not want to cause any accidents in austin for sure i understand no, no problem with paul mccartney that's uh, he's he's fantastic yeah
1: that's absolutely great. uh i i i was curious to get your thoughts on this because um uh y- as you know there was Quite a bit of excitement raised around the Southeastern Conference by that opponent. I always say the opponent reveal because it isn't a true schedule without scheduling dates. But they did it last week, and and, and I hadn't seen so much hoopla around a... A football schedule that's going to come out that deals with a season uh, more than a year off than what we saw. Nevertheless, there was a great deal of excitement about it. And I was also a little bit, um, uh, I don't know if taken aback is the right word, but eyebrows raised by the way it was presented, almost like college football playoff when they're revealing, leaving the most suspenseful part of the reveal uh, for the back, uh, the back end of it. And they start off. And they jumped right into it by showing Texas and Oklahoma are going to maintain the rivalry. And then, of course, it gets to the Texas A&M part as well. So there was a great deal of excitement, obviously, down here in the Austin area and in College yeah. Station. And you know Andrew Monaco very well, and he and I talked about this last week. But I was uh, I was curious to get your thoughts on what the vibe was like there, uh, certainly in Oklahoma County uh, and in Cleveland County and the greater uh, Oklahoma City and Norman area and all around the area about the schedule, future opponent reveal as it related to the Sooners?
0: Tremendously exciting. We did, uh, maybe you guys did something similar on the Longhorn Network, I don't know, but we did a, an hour special kind of a Manning cast, if you will, that ran uh, alongside the SEC Network reveal show, and we held it at Rudy's where we do our coaches' shows during the season. And myself and Teddy Lehman and Gabe Eichert, uh, Brent Venables joined us, Joe Castiglione, and the place was a fire hazard. I mean, there <laughs> were so many Sooner fans that showed up, it was unbelievable. And so that was the level of anticipation and excitement. I think after all this build up, you know, that's part of it. It was a long time ago that we found out this was happening. Uh, after all this buildup to finally see the OU and, and in your case, Texas logos alongside the SEC opponents, uh, which ones were coming to Norman? What are the road trips that Oklahoma fans can look forward to in 2024? It was a tremendous anticipation. And we were told that the format of the show was going to be that they would unveil the schedules in an alphabetic order. And so we were, you know, Oklahoma Falls 11th of 16 teams in alphabetical order in the SEC. We thought we had a while to sit back and, and uh, chop it up. And lo and behold, like you said, I think three minutes into the show, bam, there's the OU opponents. And uh, it was fun. It's exciting, man. It's going to be, listen, it's going to be tough. We all know that. But this is what this is what you want. I think this is... Oklahoma and Texas fans do not agree about much, but I do think they agree that they feel that they belong at the highest tier of college football. And this is it. The Southeast Conference is, is the creme de la creme. And uh, it is tremendously exciting to see what uh, the future is going to look like. A small glimpse, but man, Alabama coming to town, Tennessee coming to town the road trips to uh, LSU and Ole Miss and Auburn it's going to be a lot of fun
1: yeah and uh, the, you know toby the other thing that when the when it first came out uh you know folks examined it and said well you know Texas has to play th- uh, their, their three historically biggest rivals away from Austin Uh, in that they have to go to Fayetteville to play Arkansas. uh, Texas A&M was very, very adamant. They wanted that first uh, matchup in the renewal of the rivalry to be in College Station, and it is. And then, of course, the Oklahoma game is in Dallas, as it should be, and and I think we're all in agreement on all of that. But then I guess they were probably – I think uh, Longhorn fans were probably then sated a little bit by the fact that they get Florida and Georgia at home. And and so it was like, okay, it beefs up – The schedule. And this is not – and you and I are on the same page on this, I know, because we have great friends all around the Big 12 Conference. This is not to downgrade any team, any opponent, home or road, in the Big 12. But if we're being real uh, and you say you've got Florida and Georgia at home – Instead of whatever Kansas and Iowa State or or two other team or whatever that, that, that kind of thing, there's going to be a buzz if for no other reason because those opponents haven't been here. And so and and I'm and I got to thinking about you and I thought, you know, Alabama at home and and of course you had the recent series with Tennessee, but still to get Tennessee. Uh, at home, and, uh, and and to have Alabama at home and to know uh, you got some challenging road trips and going to Baton Rouge and, and going to Auburn uh, as well. I mean, those are those are the kinds of things, I think, that do really feed the fan hype and the fan buzz, isn't it?
0: Yeah, sure. And that's, you know, in large part what this is about. My apologies. Somebody just rang my doorbell. So that's going <laughs> that's all right. But, you know... That's in large part what this is about, Uh, why Chris Del Conte and Joe Castiglione and and the university presidents wanted to make this move was because of the uh, uh, excitement in the fan base to try to generate that excitement and the ticket sales. And, you know, at the very minimum, it's different. And we see a, a partial amount of that this year. I'm excited about this one final year in the Big 12, some of the new teams that we'll see and new places that we'll go. And so at the, at the very least, it's different. Um, But I think anybody associated with college football can look at it honestly and say, well, that is a more prestigious slate than you played year in and year out in the big 12 conference And, and fans get excited about that. I think the initial reaction of OU fans was a little bit of disappointment in the fact that they only got the three home games. Uh, obviously, when they decided on an eight-game SEC schedule, then one of us was only going to get three home games. I think that probably it was going to be Oklahoma because of how the home and away breaks in the OU-Texas game. But that initial uh, view that they only got the three home games was slightly disappointing. However, the three home games they got were you know, Alabama, Josh Heupel coming back with Tennessee, which will be
2: <laughs> an incredible
0: storyline. And Shane Beamer is the head coach at South Carolina. So, three big time storylines and matchups. And then I think anywhere that shows up on that road schedule, especially the first trip through this conference, is going to be really exciting for fans, broadcasters, players, coaches, everything new stadiums, new towns, new places to eat, everything that goes in, tailgating spots, everything that goes into making traveling to see the Longhorns and the Sooners fun. But for one of them to be Death Valley is, you know, is, is really special. Yeah. That's, that might be the number one road destination I'm most looking forward to experiencing in the sec, uh, the Grove in Oxford, legendary never had the opportunity to be there. So, uh, Auburn's going to be fun too. We've been to Missouri a few times, but it'll be fun to see for field again. So, it's all exciting, you know? I mean, you do, because of the way the schedule has broken, it, you know, by the time the TCU or the Iowa State or the even the Bedlam game rolls around, everybody's fired up about it, and it means a lot. But when you say this, when you see the same teams over and over and over again for decades, the change is exciting. And you combine that with the caliber of competition that we're going to see in the SEC, it makes it ultra exciting. That's going to be tough, Craig. It's going to be tough, but that's that's what you want.
1: Visiting with Toby Rowland, Oklahoma Sooners play-by-play voice here on Light the Tower on the Horn, talking about that 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 Sooner twenty twenty four conference schedule in the SEC. Since there was so much hype and excitement about the schedule release last week, um, I, I was kind of curious uh, that. Uh, In looking at a couple of things on two of those road games, uh, away games that you talked about, Uh, one uh, LSU that uh, LSU leads the all time series, if you want to call it two to one. But it's the first time that the the two will meet on either school's campus. It's always been in bowl games or that national championship uh, game as well. And then the Auburn game, both you've only there's only been two games between the two. Oklahoma's won in both, and they've both been right. in the Sugar Bowl. The Jack Mildren year in '71, and the, and then uh, in 2016, I know you recall very well uh, with a 35-19 Oklahoma win uh, there in the Sugar Bowl. So I mean, there's some unique things that are coming out of this yeah. when you look even at the series for these teams.
0: Yeah, that was, uh, turned out, we didn't know it at the time, that 2016 Sugar Bowl was the final game uh, of the Bob Stoops era. He retired shortly after that. Now he came back, obviously, to coach the Alamo Bowl last year after uh, Lincoln-Riley split town. But um, that'll be fun. Neither one of us have,
1: uh, Auburn
0: or Oklahoma, have been to each other's campus. Uh, LSU uh, is a stinging memory Right now, for Sooner fans, most recently the 2019 Peach Bowl, uh, Joe Burrow and the guys just lambasted them in Atlanta. But the only other two matchups were in New Orleans, where obviously they had kind of a home crowd advantage. Never played South Carolina anywhere, <laughs> only played Ole Miss once, and that was the Y2K game.
2: Oh,
1: yeah. That
0: was New Year's Eve, 1999. It was the last game of the century, and uh, or I guess there's an argument there, which where the century changes. But you know what I mean, right? And uh, that's the night that we didn't we didn't know if we were all going to live through it or not. And uh, Deuce McAllister, and Ole Miss uh, kicked a late field goal, fifty-some yarder, I believe, to beat Bob Stoops in year one of the Bob Stoops era in the Independence Bowl. Oklahoma hadn't been to a bowl game in forever. And they were uh, excited out of their minds to get to the Independence Bowl. That's where the state of the program was at that time. So that's the only time OU and Ole Miss have ever played. Oklahoma and Tennessee have only played four times ever, two of them fairly recently. So that's going to be, you know, that's pretty much the case with everybody in this conference except Missouri and Texas A&M, you know. Yeah, uh, you've run into them here or there, but not very much at all. OU and Alabama programs—they've only played six times uh, all time, so it's that's part of what makes it special, too.
1: No doubt about it. All right, uh, before I let you go, let me get let me get your thoughts on um, on on this particular team that Brent Venables is getting ready for the final year in the Big Twelve. there was a story in the Austin American Statesman here yesterday where the Statesman staff rated. Uh, all 14 uh quarterbacks or or at least the quarterback situation, which programs have the best quarterbacks which ones they have rated uh you know 1 through 14 all the way to the end and uh Dylan Gabriel came out number 2 number 1 by the way was not Quinn Ewers it was uh mm-hmm. it was Jalen Daniels of Kansas um uh Ewers yeah. was number 3 but uh your thoughts on on the impact that a healthy Gabriel can make with this team and the strides that Brent Venables has sought to make with this team through the spring drills and getting ready for the fall with regard, not only to his defense, but the the team in its entirety.
0: Those newspaper guys always trying to stir up (laughs) controversy over there. I I bet your phone lines were just full of people upset about Quinn Ewers being third. Um, Oklahoma was obviously a different football team with Dylan with Gabriel than without him last year. You saw that firsthand in our matchup in Dallas. Uh, he's going to have to be better. He was really good last year. His his stats were very good. The knock on him was they lost a lot of close games. Really, every game except the two that he missed, the, the Texas game and the TCU game got away from him. Those are the two that he missed. The other losses were all one-score games, field goal games, basically. And in all of those, there was an opportunity to win big moments, big third or fourth down conversions that needed to be made, and he couldn't come up with the big play at the big time, Uh, whether it was a low throw or just an incompletion or an interception or whatever the case may be. The clutch factor last year wasn't really high. So he's going to have to be better in those situations. I think just the quarterback position as a whole, there is a tremendously better feeling about it this year because of Jackson Arnold, uh, the the five-star that they brought in, who's a true freshman. But he'll push Dylan Gabriel. I mean, he he has been electric uh, reportedly so far in the spring, and I don't think anybody anticipates that he'll win the job. But I do think if Gabriel doesn't get out of the gates hot, that there will be murmurs. And, uh, and it could be that by the time OU and Texas get together, you know, Jackson Arnold's the guy. It's possible anyway. But certainly they feel better at the very least about the backup quarterback situation this year than they did last year. They've got question marks on the offensive side. You know, who's going to be the Marvin Mims that, that is their playmaker at wide receiver? Uh, they lost their top two running backs. They really liked the guys they got, and they played well against Florida State in the bowl game. But who's going, Javante Barnes, Gavin Sachuk, a couple of these highly touted freshmen, who's going to tote the rock? I would say the biggest difference that Brent Venables has made in his brief year plus at OU is there is undeniably more talent and depth on the defensive side of the ball than there has been in many, many years. They have recruited and got transfer portal pickups uh, on the defensive side of the ball at a much higher level under Brent Venables than they did under Lincoln Riley and even, frankly, in the last half of the Bob Stoops regime. Wow. Uh, So that's the side of the ball that Sooner fans are buzzing about. Uh, Defensive line, linebacker, the secondary looks like it could be as good as it's been in a long, long time. So the the question marks for the first time in a long time are more on the offensive side of the ball for this Sooner team going into a season than than on the defensive side.
1: Interesting. Okay, Uh, the final thing I have for you, and it it goes back to this 2024 schedule, and it's because there was uh, not only the speculation – about who, uh, down in these parts, who who the Longhorns would be playing in conference play was that also the realization, once it was announced it was going to be an eight-game schedule, that they were going to have to quickly move to find a fourth non-conference opponent. They did. It'll be Louisiana Monroe, and uh, they're they're firmly entrenched in talking about playing only, uh, you know, uh, Division one FBS opponents, not FCS opponents. Uh, they haven't mm-hmm. played one since 2006. So, so they added uh, UL Monroe to the other non-conference games this year. UTSA, and then of course there's a. By the way, there's a trip to Ann Arbor uh, next year for Texas. So, th- so there's that in non-conference play. Um, and then and and so then I looked at Oklahoma's schedule, but I only see two non-conference games. I see Temple, and I see yeah. Tulane. Have they? Have they? Uh, contracted yet, or is there rumor about uh, who they would try or are trying to get uh, uh, works in uh, progress to try to get the other two non-conference games set up?
0: So the interesting thing is uh, Georgia was on next year's schedule. Ah, Uh, Oklahoma was supposed to host Georgia in 2023 with a return trip to Athens, I believe it was maybe 27, 28. It was a little later in the decade. But once this SEC uh, situation came to be and there wouldn't be a return game, that series got canceled. You know, Georgia was not willing to come to Norman without for a non-conference game without Oklahoma coming back. And by that point, obviously, they would be in the same conference. So that created uh, an extra hole. You're right. Uh, Temple and Tulane are the two opponents right now. The other, they got two spots to fill. I have not seen anything beyond rumors as to who that could be. It's a pickle. I mean, that's that's just two seasons away. So pretty much, as you know, everybody's schedules are, are filled up. I, I think at least one of those will be at home, maybe both. And at least one of those is probably going to have to be a name. You know, maybe not maybe not an elite name, but I think it's going to have to be a, a power five school. I don't think you can play four temples in two lanes, even though that, uh, SEC schedule is going to be daunting. So it it is a, uh, a topic of great speculation around here as to who Joe Castiglione is going to find to fill those spots. We were disappointed. I don't know how you guys felt. We were disappointed by the decision to only play eight conference games. Yep. And I think that will at some point change. Uh, it seems a little soft to me, but uh, I know there are reasons for it and hopefully they will move that eventually to nine. But it does leave Oklahoma in a little bit of a pickle here for
1: 2024. Well, here's the – and I think you probably knew where I was going with this because, you know, Texas and Texas A&M, as I always said, were like Ross and Rachel and friends. They were on a break And they needed, uh, you know, they needed a uh, a, what's going to be a 13 year break before they start playing again. So uh, is Bedlam on a break or is it permanently gone or is there the possibility of a September Bedlam or is or is that even a consideration given? I know how this starts. I've lived it down here where there's some hard feelings at the beginning of such things. So is, is there any conversation about that possibly being down the road?
0: I would never rule anything out with Joe. It would be a major shocker if OU and OSU found themselves on the 2024 schedule against each other. There has been a steady stream of hard feelings from every level of Oklahoma State since this announcement. President, athletic director, certainly Mike Gundy. Uh, Mike Gundy has clearly stated many times that Bedlam is dead. Oklahoma made their choice to go to the SEC, and as far as he's concerned, as long as he's the head coach, they'll never play again. So it would be a major stunner if that happened. I would say they're on a break because eventually it will, you know. It's it's just too logical. There's going to be too much of a fan cry for it in this state. It's a great rivalry. They'll play in every other sport for sure. You know, baseball, softball, basketball, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State will play in every other sport every year, no doubt. But the football thing, I think, is going to have to simmer down a little bit. And I would say maybe after Mike Gundy isn't at Oklahoma State anymore, maybe after uh, four or five or more years pass, that Oklahoma state will say, you know what, it wouldn't hurt our strength of schedule and our season ticket sales to be able to bring in Oklahoma. Certainly the Sooners president Joe Harris and, and Joe Castiglione have said from the get go, we, we would love to continue to play Bedlam uh, in the non-con just whenever Oklahoma state feels like they're ready. We're, we're here. So I think it'll happen again, but the OSU is is has very hard feelings. I'm not saying that they, that they're not, you know, deserved, but they have very hard feelings, and it will be a while, I think, before they play each other again in football.
1: Mm. And besides, it, it, you mentioned softball. I mean, Patty Gasso has got to take her team into a professional circuit now, right? I mean, there's nobody, nobody out there <laughs> taking them out anytime soon, right?
0: Well, you know, I don't know. Jordy Ball just transferred to Nebraska, so uh, that was a big blow. So, it's hard to imagine that, I mean, the the year that they just had, the winning streak, uh, the way they blew through this season is unprecedented, and uh, we'll see how long they can continue it. But it is a juggernaut. I mean, she has built an amazing program there, and uh, I don't doubt they'll be the favorites again going into next season. Yeah, uh, I'm excited about Craig softball in the SEC. And for you and me, I'm I'm as excited about baseball in the SEC as as just about anything. I think that the uh, uh, environments that we are in for in the SEC is something that as much as I love the sport of college baseball, my soul needs it, you know, Um, (laughs) it's fun going to Austin. And it's fun going to Lubbock, but there are some outposts in the Big 12 where they just don't give a rip about college baseball. Yep. And yep. that will not be the case when we go to Ole Miss and Mississippi State and LSU and Tennessee and Florida and Bandy and on and on and on, Arkansas. So uh, I, baseball in the SEC is it has me licking my chops. It's going to be tremendous.
1: And counting, counting – NCAA regionals or super. You've been to most of the SEC venues, haven't you? I think I've only been to four or five, but you've been to most, haven't you? Uh, Through your years of doing whether it was non-conference or regional or super regional, hadn't you?
0: Are you just talking baseball? Yeah, just just
1: baseball. uh, Just baseball. Yeah, just baseball. You've been been to several, haven't you? uh,
0: We've been to Arkansas. We we played LSU in a super. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have they went to Mississippi State, but that was before my time. Mm-hmm. We have been to uh, Ole Miss before Boston your time. Basketball only. Yeah, Ole Miss before my time. Um, Florida, we played in the Super last year. South Carolina – or in a regional. South Carolina, we played in a Super. I wouldn't say most of them. I oh. would say maybe half. Okay. Uh, so yeah, there was a few that they played right before well, Texas A and M, obviously in Missouri. Yeah. But, yeah, probably about half of them we've been to. Okay.
1: All right. Hey, yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. Hey, it's always a pleasure to visit with you. I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, I'll look forward to seeing you around the corner. We get one we we'll get one more year in uh, in this Big 12 thing and then it's on to that that other that brand new destination. I appreciate you doing this, Tobe.
0: You're the man, cracker. Thanks, buddy. Anytime. All,
1: you bet. That's uh, Toby Rowland, play-by-play voice of the Oklahoma Sooners. Always good to to visit with Toby. No matter what. Some of you say on the Specs Text Line. You should know, by the way, and some of you really are unfriendly on that Specs Text Line, that the exact same thing happens whenever I'm on with Toby. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people get that get that Texas guy out of here. Get him
0: out of here, here, Greg.
1: Yeah. So it happens. Okay. So it's, those of you who've texted in that, some of you are nice. Some of you, eh, you need to work on your manners a little. All right, uh, coming up, we do have inconceivable here, and uh, you're listening to Light the Tower here on the Horn.
2: Inconceivable, 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 inconceivable. You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means.
1: You know what's inconceivable? Some of those responses there from people on the Specs text line when we had Toby Rowland on there.
2: I don't know, Craig. I think they're very conceivable. <laughs> I think it's the other way <laughs> you wash your keyboard out with soap <laughs> <laughs> so there's people there and like I, and i'm
1: serious when i'm on with toby on this show he tells it's the same it's the same response up there north of the red river they you know that's that's how they are about their deal so and it's
2: funny craig because when we had andrew monaco on last yeah. week we didn't get anything like that now and i, I think figured there were, it'd be more hatred for a&m versus oklahoma
1: give it time I think uh, there's just excitement uh, about that rivalry uh, renewed. Uh, As we jump into Inconceivable, uh, uh, we did have also the question on the Specs text line, summertime golf course for you. You're gonna play summertime, and somebody mentioned Shadow Glen. Great course, fun track. That's one overall off of 290, right yeah. out of east of town. I've never had a chance to play. Nice, it's
2: a really good, really good, good. track. I wish, I wish a little bit closer for me because I'm in Round Rock versus driving out to Manor. But mm-hmm. it's a very, very nice track. Definitely underrated in terms of the public courses here in this Austin area. There
1: you go. All right, so we'll continue taking uh, your submissions there on the Specs text line at three three seven three seven seven six. Your summertime go to golf course okay our go-to on inconceivable uh you know normally normally there's a fast food component uh there are some animal components and there's really only kind of one of the two and it's a little bit of the animal or in this case the fishing thing i heard bucky and Aaron talking about this yesterday and i did a little more research into this uh part, part of the reason i had some real interest in this is, is because this happened in an area where I'm going to be next week, or at least part of it uh, at at certain point. It's near uh, Moorhead City, North Carolina, where they have that big uh, the Big Rock Blue Marlin Tournament. It's a huge thing uh, there in Moorhead City, which is where the state port of North Carolina is, is Moorhead City. Uh, and uh, Michael Jordan competed in it last year at a group there. So They had that tournament, $3 million in prize money, and a fishing crew that thought they had it because they, at a 619-pound blue marlin, was disqualified due to mutilation caused by a shark or some other Mm. marine animal. Uh, The crew of the boat, Sensation, caught that massive marlin as part of the week-long fishing tournament there off uh, Moorhead City. The marlin gave the crew a six-plus-hour fight, according to the tournament website, before they boated it on Saturday night. But the uh, at the tournament live stream, the boats returned ashore, and crowds of people cheered as the marlin was hoisted in the air and weighed. But a problem quickly became clear. Um, one of the board members said, Okay, guys, let's talk about the rules here for a second. It would appear this fish has been bitten by a shark. So there was a photo of the crew and the Marlin shows the Marlin visible wounds on its underside and the tail. By Sunday, the tournament announced it consulted with experts. The Blue Marlin disqualified. Uh, Wow. Yeah, here's the quote. After careful deliberation and discussions between the Big Rock Rules Committee and the Board of Directors with biologists from both the North Carolina State, CMAST, and the NCAA, Marine Fisheries Biologist, as well as International Game Fish Association, it was determined that the 619-pound, 4-ounce blue marlin is, is disqualified due to mutilation caused by a shark or other marine animal. It was deemed that the fish was mutilated before it was landed or boated. Therefore, it's disqualified. In other words, it could have been dead at that yeah. point. Yeah. And so, that's why. You said how many pounds? 619 pounds, 4 ounces. Woo! That's a lot of good eating. Uh, uh, they they can grow to weigh as many as 2,000 pounds, Holy 14 cow. feet. Uh, the tournament record set last year when the crew of Top Dog hauled in a marlin weighing 914 pounds. <laughs> 271 boats participate in that. So that's unfortunate there. But you can tell by – look, I'm looking at the picture. You can tell where it was a shark got a hold of it. And they probably knew it going into eh, – maybe they'll let it slide off of that. Uh, but no. Uh, So they lost on that. Um, uh, By the way, since we're talking about the water, uh, send thoughts and prayers to the crew of that submersible that's been lost. I've heard about this searching for the going down to just view the Titanic. This happened uh, off; uh, it was released off uh, the the coast, went near Newfoundland, and it was going out there in the Atlantic. And uh, the Coast Guard and the Royal Canadian Air Force are deploying more aircraft and vessels to aid in the search for this 21-foot vessel, which began its descent Sunday morning. And there's a dwindling oxygen supply. They've not been in touch with it. Uh, They've scoured the ocean surface. We're talking about an area 900 miles east of Cape Cod. It's about 13,000 feet deep. And the crews are dealing with foggy conditions, waves of 3 to 6 feet. The submersible is about the size of a minivan, Carrying one pilot and four mission specialists, uh, when its mothership lost contact with about an hour and forty-five minutes in the descent to explore the Titanic wreckage, um, and the vessel has about somewhere between seventy and ninety-six hours of life support. Oh boy! So maybe till about Thursday at the most. Yeah, cutting it close for them. So they're hoping that they can find them there, and we'll certainly hope for the best on that. That's a tough. Tough deal there, the if they're stuck down at the bottom and trying to get rescued off of that. So hopefully you can find them on, on that. Um we were talking about record uh a moment ago, record s- setting a Marlin cost. Uh I can't remember asking you this question because I don't ask this question very often. But I feel compelled to ask you this question, Cameron. Are you a Taylor Swift fan?
2: Her early stuff, uh, I thought she had some bangers on it. The last couple albums, I have not listened to. So I would not say I'm a Swifty at all.
1: Okay. Um, you know she set a record, a stadium record yeah. attendance in Pittsburgh? Yeah. 73,117 Swifties going to see the concert on Saturday night now. It, it broke the record there in Pittsburgh held by Garth Brooks who had 72,887 in 2019 and because of the way that the field set up, the reason why it's a record crowd, it beats any Steelers game because of the four seating on the yeah, field. Yeah, okay. You know, with the stage. So you can't get 73,000 in there because of that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, so it's a record. Uh, it was also the first time she performed seven, which includes the lyrics that pay homage to her home state in front of the live audience. She also performed The Story of Us from the speak now album as the second surprise song from the concert record holder now so Taylor. craig
2: i've seen pictures and you know people are sitting at the very top 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 of of the stadium formerly known as heinz field i forget what right. it's called now um what, what uh, did I just say? chad hastings yeah. it's some weird name but at that point those tickets are not like 25 bucks you're spending like three, four hundred, five hundred dollars and yeah. you can't even you can't even see her. <laughs> I mean you have the same view as Kobe Bryant to see her.
1: It's it's all about the experience, I, yeah, right? I, I guess. I guess. Uh if Jeff were here, he would he would like this. But I know you also have an interest in uh sports collectibles, right? Somewhat. All right. A Will Chamberlain uniform oh, from his rookie season in the NBA when he played with the then Philadelphia Warriors, Yeah, of course, moved to San Francisco in 63, and he went with them and then eventually was traded back to Philadelphia to play for the 76ers and then the Lakers. But the uniform from his rookie season, 59-60, this is after he spent a year with the Harlem Globetrotters, did wilt. But they sold this jersey at auction for $1,790,000, nearly $2 million. The uniform was photo-matched. By three of the leading authenticators in the sports memorabilia business, all confirming Wilt wore the shorts and the jersey numerous times, starting in 1959. Uh, In his first year, he averaged 38 points and 27 rebounds. (laughs) Uh, They lost to the Celtics a lot. You look at some of Will Chamberlain's numbers back then, they're just crazy. Absolutely crazy numbers.
2: And what's funny, Craig, is that those stats are probably the worst of his career. (laughs) He only got better.
1: Yeah. Take a look at that (laughs) 61-62 season. Unbelievable. When he scored 100 points in that game on March 2nd of 62 against the Knicks. But take a look at his other numbers. Well, he averaged 50 points a game that year. It was amazing. All right. Um, We've got some other things to get to. We're going to hear from Colt McCoy coming up. Uh, We'll take more of your comments as well on the specs text line. Cam, somebody says your Kobe Bryant comment was not funny, mm-hmm. so you need to know. That. I apologize. All right, there you go. Uh, Acrisure Stadium is the name of it. That's right, Acrisure Stadium. All right, stay with us. More to come on Light the Tower on the Horn.